0: welcome to the ey ceo outlook podcast series where our host richard curran talks to some of ireland's leading ceos about leadership lessons learned and their future business plans hi i'm Graeme reid partner and head of markets here at ey in this episode we welcome sarah venning ceo of ni water supplying over 560 million liters of clean water per day For almost 1.8 million people, NI Water delivers what matters for a healthy and thriving population. Through innovative and sustainable water solutions, NI Water encourages a flourishing, natural environment. So over to you Richard. Thanks, Graeme, and we hope you're enjoying this podcast series of interviews with CEOs, and thanks for listening to the EY Podcast CEO Outlook series. If you like what you've heard, hit follow or subscribe and leave a review. And do subscribe, because we've lots more big interviews with industry leaders in the weeks ahead. Well, my next guest on this episode is Sarah Venning, Northern Ireland Water Chief Executive. Sarah joined NI Water in 2010 from NIE in, I suppose, a baptism of fire or water, whichever way you might put it. And we'll talk about that uh, in a moment. She became CEO in 2014 and is one of the only women to run a top 10 company in Northern Ireland. Sarah, you're very welcome.
1: Thank you very much. Delighted to be here.
0: I mentioned there 2010 because that was the extraordinary winter freeze and you had just joined uh, Northern Ireland Water. And of course, the thaw came along and the pipes burst.
1: Extraordinary. It was extraordinary and unprecedented and all those adjectives that that are used and a huge um, trial, I guess, for the organisation itself. Um, And uh, there was such a big customer impact from that extreme weather and really... The impact on customers was happening on the customer side, but we as a company had a communications failure. So we were unable to uh, keep that flow of communications going, to keep people informed of what was happening. Um, and it was just a, a huge operational impact. Uh, and for
0: business. you, it was you were relatively new in the company, so it, it was a huge introduction to... Uh, being right in, in, in at the coalface when something goes wrong.
1: Absolutely. So I was in charge of the part of the business that um, produced the clean water um, and dealt with all the customer calls. So it was, and those were the two parts of the business that were really under pressure throughout that whole um, period of time. So it absolutely was a baptism of fire. It was followed up then with a um, series of reviews from a uh, uh, executive uh, committees, parliamentary committees, the utility regulator, and I had to lead the organisation the whole way through that as well. So it was a big, big challenge for me. Extraordinary
0: start. And of course, uh, you you got through it very, very well and became CEO in 2014. And I'm going to talk a bit about that in a while. But first of all, your background, you're from Cookstown, County Tyrone.
1: I am. I'm the eldest of four children uh, from Cookstown. And um, I have two uh, brothers and one sister Um, and I think being the eldest I have just been the organiser, the problem solver and that's really probably what set me on my Journey through life, if I'm honest.
0: And was there business in the family when you were growing up?
1: My uh, yes, my mother's family uh, were Eastwoods, and Eastwoods in Cookstown were a bit like the mafia. They had the clothes shop, they had the hardware shop, they had the boot shop, they had the bookies. Um and so we were the Eastwoods of the clothes shop. And I worked with my uh, grandfather and then my uncle from a very early age um, going into um, the clothes shop and then actually I suppose I, I, I learnt a lot about customer service. I probably learnt a lot about um, keeping yourself busy and I think then I helped them transform their business so my uh, propensity to improve things and always leave things better. So when I went in they used to add everything up on a, on a piece of paper, write out all their sums and add up all their on a piece of paper with a lovely shiny electronic till on the counter. So I educated them all on how to do it quicker and faster and more accurately. Um, and my actually A-level computer project was digitising their credit book and putting that onto a database. So um,
0: So you were I, involved in corporate change <laughs> at a very early age. Absolutely.
1: absolutely. And a,
0: a lot of family businesses like that, uh, you, you often end up working at a, when you're very young. What what age were you? Well, no, I wasn't
1: that young. So I was about uh, 13 or 14 when I started my Saturday job working in the shop. Um, and then uh, it was a very progressive business actually so the whole uh, idea of a 50% sale um, was something that hadn't been heard of really up until then and we used to do that so we used to close on Boxing Day and we used to change all the tickets on Boxing, or close on Christmas Eve change all the tickets um, on, on all the clothes and on Boxing Day there would be a huge queue down the street in Cookstown um, to get into this this clothes shop so yeah, it was tremendous.
0: And for you growing up, did you ever want to go into the family business? Did you, what, what did you want to do? What were your thoughts about a career?
1: So my earliest, I can remember my earliest ambition <laughs> was to be the person in the supermarket with the price gun who put the prices on the tins and stacked the shelves because I think I liked order. Um, And then I did work in the family business. And actually, there was a discussion around the time I was going to university about you could take this over. And I honestly didn't think that I had the creativity to uh, to, to run a clothes shop and pick fashion and style. And by that stage, I had decided I wanted to be an engineer. So I was um, maths, physics kind of a person in school and I had chosen that I would go to study engineering at Queen's. And so there was no doubt in my mind that I wasn't staying in Cookstown to to, to run a business. I wanted to go to university and I and I wanted to study engineering. And
0: the extraordinary thing about kids, male or female, when it comes to maths and science, some people just... It's not just about some people have an ability to do it and others don't. Some people just love it or they don't. That was you, was it? Yeah,
1: I I think I loved it because there was a right answer. So maybe I'm a black and white kind of person. There was a right answer. And actually, you know, I'm always someone who thinks about what's the maybe the easiest route to the loot. Um, So you get marks. You could get the answer wrong and get marks for the correct working out. Whereas in English, when you're writing something, and someone tells you it isn't good. I could never understand what it was that wasn't good. Um, what are they looking for? What are they looking for? And I couldn't I couldn't understand that. So the, the the maths and the science, there was a logic associated with it. And yeah, I did really like it.
0: Does that mean you don't like waffling and spoofing and Hate that it. sort of thing? Hate it. You're more direct.
1: Very. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: I can see you're nodding your head there. <laughs> And you went to college, engineering. first of all, it, and it is still the case today, not enough women going into engineering. W- were there many other females in your class?
1: Not very many. So there would have been about 110 of us and I think about six or seven girls.
0: Wow, it's, it's, it's quite smart. Um, do you keep an eye on, you know, the sector today? And would those numbers typically have changed a lot? Do I think?
1: don't think they have changed a terrible amount. So, yeah, I think you are still around 10, 15 um, percent in, in those engineering classes. So despite all the great work that we're doing on STEM and STEM ambassadors and getting into schools, we still haven't really cracked it.
0: Do you think it's possible to crack it? I mean, it should be, but it's, the change is so slow.
1: And and honestly, I don't really know um, and, I, and I can't understand it because it is such a great, you know, the jobs are amazing. You're not getting your hands dirty. Um, uh, there is such a variety. You are problem solving. So I don't understand why people won't go into it.
0: When it comes to business and entrepreneurship, uh, a lot of female entrepreneurs that I would interview will say that girls growing up need... Role models, they need to see front and centre more women who have set up their own business. In your case, in engineering and in management and leading an organisation, do you think that would help?
1: I think it does help. And I think it um, uh, you can see that now. I can see that now in, in, in my latter career. And as I suppose I have risen up, I can see people saying, oh, you were able to do it. So I think, you know, I know I can do it and um, so I appreciate that a whole lot more now I think that I think that likely is the case
0: you finished college and before NI Water you were in the electricity group NIE w- where did that sort of utilities interest come from I mean based on engineering there's a lot of different sectors you could go into
1: so I think it is about a personality type and about um wanting to get things done and, and I suppose the tangible, very um, clear line of sight to getting things done. So when you work in a utility, you're 24-7, you're always on. I love that. I love that challenge. I love that buzz. Um, I did my work experience with NIE um, and that's probably how I, ended up going to NIE as a as a graduate and I did my work experience with NIE so that's aged 16, 17 um, and I, I loved the fact that they were out and about that they were doing different things every day and um, I went through college I was sponsored by DuPont and um, when I came out of college I had actually a choice of jobs I could have went and worked in Intel um, but I liked, I, I suppose, through college, I'd studied the power engineering subjects and, and they appealed to me more than the computer programming, which was or the communications, which were becoming very popular at that time. Um, so NIE was my natural choice. And actually, I did want to stay in Northern Ireland. Um, so I, NIE was my natural choice.
0: And a lot of people then who qualify as engineers work in various engineering capacities and organisations they might not want management. They might not want to be in charge. What do you think drew you in, in, in towards management?
1: So I started in NIE, and I wanted to be the most technical person that I could be. What was the hardest, most technical thing that you could do? And that's where I was, you know, that's where I had my eyes set or my sights set. Um, and I did that for a while and... um I guess that natural propensity to make things better kicked in in me and actually uh, looking around saying, well, how could I do this smarter, faster? (laughs) Um, And NIE at that time brought in something called Six Sigma, uh, which was an American type business improvement uh, methodology, if you like. So as a graduate, I guess they got us involved in that. And I loved it. It's very structured. um, And that just seen me off on that kind of business improvement type role which led to managerial roles and I was an NIE for 14 years I moved from being a graduate to being one of their senior managers and I might have applied for one or two jobs so every move was will you go and do will you solve this problem and eventually having solved the problem, then I might have got a promotion. Um, but I didn't seek promotions and you I didn't weren't, seek it. You
0: weren't setting your sights on something down the road. You were concentrating on doing whatever the job is today, the best that I can do To it. the
1: best of my ability, yeah. And to help. So people came and asked me, will you go to place A, uh, do task B? And invariably you might think, uh, no, I, I, I don't know anything about that. Um, but... I genuinely, if they asked, I sort of thought, well, they they must see something in me, so I'll try it. So, like, I mean, one of the most strange ones, so I'm an electrical engineer. NIE had a huge centralised store facility where all the poles and transformers and equipment went. and um, They'd had a terrible audit in terms of their stock control. And actually, they wanted to close those stores down and sell the land. Um, and I was sent in to manage the whole thing. So to fix all the stock control, uh, clear the site, set up new stores distributed around the country and ensure that sale went ahead. And I can remember accountants coming to me after about two or three months going, well, you know all about this SAP stock control system. You know, tell us about it. And I thought, <laughs> I'm an engineer. This, You're the accountant. Um But I did and um, we got it done. Uh, so it's just you know, take the challenge on, you'd be surprised at what you can do.
0: So you moved over to NI Water and then you worked your way up and you became CEO in 2014. You were the fifth CEO in eight years. And there doesn't seem to have been any one particular reason for that. It's just a, a different set of reasons why it had changed quite a bit. But it does sort of point towards it being potentially a very tough gig.
1: It was. Uh, and I'm and, and, NI Water at that time was probably a very political it used to be described as a political football so it had been created as an organisation it was initially created and there was an intention that there would be domestic water billing, wasn't necessarily very popular, the local politicians then came back into power and decided against that Um, and so against that backdrop of becoming a go-co, coming out of um, the civil service um, setting up all their systems and data systems which invariably had some issues as they transferred out of that civil service setting um, was the downfall of a number of um CEOs very public um, and and a bit of a blame culture whenever something went wrong. Did
0: that spook you
1: um it didn't it 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 didn't sp- book me per se. So I became CEO not because I wanted to. So in actual fact, uh, the competition for the CEO ship that that, that eventually, I suppose, I was successful in, um, I didn't apply for it. So I was in my 30s at that time and thought, I love what I'm doing. I was uh, bringing together customer service and operations in NI Water. Uh, We were driving out efficiencies and making real change. So really lifting the game in customer service and driving cost out of the business. That's what I was doing. And I wanted to see that through and and be seen to have delivered that. So I didn't apply for the CEO post um, and a number of others in the executive management team did. Um, And there came a gap of a short period of time where um, the CEO of the day was retiring and had to leave. um, And there was a gap. Um, And the chairman at the time said, well, look, will you do this because you haven't applied? So uh, you don't have a vested interest. And again, I just thought, well, that's fine. Be good for my CV. I'll do this for a month or two and and that'll be fine. So I did. And um, then the competition itself sort of fell apart. So they asked me to stay on for another six months um, to provide just a bit of continuity. So I did. And that time then they reran the competition for the CEO p- position. So at that stage, I'd done it for six to eight months. And
0: and you wanted it and you had enjoyed it. Well, what I you'd thought, seen. yes,
1: I now know I can do this. Um, and there was a part of me thinking um, it would look odd if I didn't apply for it. So I did and I got it and I, I love it. I haven't looked back.
0: One of the things about water is it's the product that we all consume, we all need and we all kind of take for granted from your side in doing your job. How big a challenge is that?
1: It's a huge challenge, it's a huge challenge here for, for, for a couple of reasons. Um, Northern Ireland water is um, a part of is publicly funded and therefore competes for its funding with um, hospitals, with schools, with um, the, the whole health um, sector. Um, and therefore, when and it's a very capital intensive business, so there are water assets all over the country. Um, we we produce 600 million litres of water a day and that means we have to take that water, we have to treat it and we have to pump it. So it requires quite a lot of investment and when you're trying to convince politicians to meet your investment needs and they don't see it, they can often think uh, that's not as important as the school or the hospital um, but yet if you have an interruption to your water supply or in fact if you cannot get rid of your waste um, it has a huge impact on society um, so that's a big challenge for us um, and I also think the other big challenge for us is in and around the consumption of water and people's behaviour around water so it is a precious resource um, and you only have to look to some of the developing countries um, where they don't have that water how precious it is but here in, in Ireland and certainly in Northern Ireland, we're pretty wasteful around our water. So we use about 170 litres of water per day, whereas the equivalent even in England might be 140 litres of water today. And
0: those households are paying for it. They
1: are. That,
0: that is the difference. It's primarily privatised and they are paying. Yes. The, the parallels between uh, north and south of the border, both in the infrastructure neglect from a policy point of view over many years, are are very similar. But then there comes a moment, there comes a a, a point in time where politically the politicians have to say, we just have to spend this money, this has to happen. Uh, That probably happened south of the border a number of years ago. But the problem is, even if you make that decision, it takes years to catch up. How has that moment been reached in Northern Ireland? Uh,
1: Yes and no. So uh, in, in the south, uh, people are still experiencing boil water notices and there's a huge investment in clean water. So in the north, um, that investment in clean water happened and has been sustained. But what did happen in here was um, an underinvestment in wastewater assets and uh, the impact of that has now manifest itself in that you have a a drainage network and a wastewater network that cannot, is that capacity. So when someone wants to build a new housing development or expand their factory or even just expand their house, we are having to say through the planning system, we have no more capacity here and that is holding up development. Um, And we had forecast that and explained it to the politicians, but they couldn't really see it or feel it. So they didn't react in a timely enough manner because these things can't be fixed overnight. Um, I think that commitment is now there. It was called out in the New Decade, New Approach document, the commitment to wastewater infrastructure and investing in that and in the current business planning process that we're in at the minute, we are spending a billion pounds on wastewater Uh, Infrastructure, which is um, probably a threefold investment, uh, increase in investment on the previous price. And is that
0: money there? That has been allocated into the medium term?
1: So, no, there is a verbal commitment that it needs to be done. And I guess you can only go on. the proof of the puddings in the eating. So the first year of the price control has been funded, the second year has been funded. The bit that is missing is the certainty that years four, five, six and seven will be funded. Um, we're working on a planning and assumption that they will. Um, we're gearing all our systems around that and you know we're working with our contractor partners and our, our design consultants to get that work done. We don't have the absolute guarantee that the money will flow. And the and the bigger difficulty actually for us is in many instances, the capital money comes to build the infrastructure and um, in not all cases, then is the operating cost money made available to us. And there is no point in building assets if you can't pay the electricity bill to uh, do the enhanced um, UV treatment that uh, kills the bugs.
0: And have those delays somewhat in, in the final commitment into the medium term? has that been affected by the absence of Stormont or is it a case that, look, this is a long-term capital investment structure so the money will be there regardless?
1: It is impacted by the, the difficulties in Stormont. So Stormont was on the cusp of a three-year uh, budget settlement which it would have worked pretty well for us um, and that hasn't happened. Uh, in addition, the difficulties in Stormont have implications around operating costs so even as we speak today we're in November of 22 the 22 23 operating cost budget for Northern Ireland has not been struck or set and conversations are happening almost on a daily basis now as to how much it will be reduced by but when you're running an infrastructure business such as ours and you're at month seven or eight in the year there's little scope Um, We're also a very efficient business. So we have, when we came out of government, we were benchmarked independently as having been 49% less efficient than comparable UK companies. Today, we're we're within 5% of a frontier company. So uh, there isn't any fat in our organisation, I would say now. And if you were to cut operating costs, you would be asking for a cut in service. So that's a difficult conversation.
0: How do you get households and consumers to consume less water because it is a precious resource and it's expensive despite all the rain. It's expensive Mm -hmm. to have it coming out cleanly out of those taps and dispensed with afterwards as well. How do you get people to be more conscious of usage if they're not paying for it? And even if they were paying for it on an annual subscription rather than a pay per use, they might be inclined to just keep the taps running anyway.
1: And, And that is the challenge which we face. And we're looking at it in a number of ways. So uh, behavioural psychology becomes part of it, looking after your own community and your own um, environment and and linking back your water to maybe your reservoir. Um, But look, if I'm honest, it's something that we haven't cracked in any shape or fashion. Um, our demand for water is pretty high here and we see now in the summers and even though you might think Northern Ireland as a whole doesn't really experience um, very warm summers this past three summers we've had high demand events whereby the customers, the people of Northern Ireland have called for more water then our water treatment works can push through the plants. Um, And at those times, we're going out, we're um, appealing for people not to be running their sprinklers, not to be filling hot tubs and and paddling pools so that we have enough water to drink um, and to use in our homes. Um, So it's definitely a a challenge.
0: When it comes to, and we've talked a bit about how... A lot of people take water for granted. It's the most important product and we don't think of it that way. From your side as the chief executive of a water company, you can go from being taken for granted to being in the eye of the storm when something goes wrong. So all of a sudden the media are all over you because something has gone wrong. Is that very stressful to deal with?
1: It can be. It can be stressful. um, I suppose frustrating maybe more than than, uh, allowing it to be stressful. I think the fact that um, all along, if you have a very good team, if you're very clear about what it is that you're trying to achieve, if you're communicating widely when you're in the eye of the storm, you can just very calmly uh, explain what it is that you're doing. And, And invariably, you know, the shock horror, how could this have happened questions do come to light, but uh, you're you're able to point to, well, three years ago, we explained to you what would happen. We gave you options. We gave you choices. This is the choice that you have made, provided it isn't uh, an incident of my own making, at which point I have to stand up and take responsibility for it.
0: (laughs) And, and of course, lots of people don't want to do that when the the time comes. But it's also the case that uh, you have to, you have to put out fires from, from from a media point of view and all that pressure. Do, do you handle pressure well, do you think?
1: I think I must, to a certain degree, thrive on pressure and stress. I like being busy. In fact, uh, those reflective moments where actually you don't have a whole lot of things on, I, I find myself saying, oh, what, 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 what to do now? So I don't mind it. I think I do. I think uh, it is something that I'm fairly comfortable with.
0: You've been you've successfully cut costs in the company, but it didn't necessarily come easily. Some time back there there was industrial action over cost cutting and I think it affected water supply and water access to households. That's a really tough situation to be in. Was that was that hard to manage?
1: Well, it was particularly hard to manage, especially as it really wasn't born of a cost-cutting initiative and it wasn't necessarily born of um, actions that we as a management team uh, were implementing um, through our own volition. So if I I can elaborate a little bit... um, pensions changed across the Northern Ireland civil service and the Northern Ireland water pension scheme was linked to the civil service scheme, but is different because it is a trustee scheme, it's a defined benefit scheme. And the civil servants wanted us just to make a blanket change in line with what they had done. Um, and and we said we can't. Uh, and, you know, legally we have to go through consultation process. And so we, we gave them a number of options as to here's how you can achieve the outcome that you would like. You will have to make an investment in this for the good of the pay pe- for, for the people who you wish to, uh, uh, to give up their pension rights, if you like. Um, and the ministers and the civil service of the day decided, declined, and said, no, just we're not giving you any support, just make the change. And the outworking of that was industrial action. Um, and so it, it was horrendous, and it was a horrendous thing to have to manage in an organisation because. Uh, horrendous
0: in what way for you?
1: Um, because you had, uh, we had worked so hard. To bring together an organisation that was focused on customer service, that was focused on efficiency, that was doing very well, actually, as a team and was a team. And it had it brought division into that team um, and it saw then, you know, those who were left to try and manage the situation and keep uh, services running um. Uh, at odds, I guess, with the guys who, who whose job it is to do that on a day and daily basis. Uh, it went on for quite some time. It was divisive and, and we had such a job of work to do afterwards to pull everybody back together again. And in the final analysis, um, more had to be paid in the running of the industrial action and the um, settlement that was reached with the unions than would have had to been uh, paid at the outset as was offered Um So that's the frustration for us.
0: I want to ask you, Sarah, a bit about sustainability and what your sector can do. In a way, climate change affects so many sectors and so many things. And I'm sure whether we have too much water at times and not enough at other times is is, is maybe becoming a bit of an issue around climate change. What what about sustainability and what you're doing in that area?
1: So one of the hidden gems of, of the water industry is just how close to nature they have always been. But now, as we as we look towards um, climate, the impact of climate and climate change, we just have a huge job of work to do and contribution to make. Um, So we are the largest electricity consumer um, in Northern Ireland. Our electricity bill used to be 30 million pounds a year. This year it will be 90 million pounds and it would have been higher if it wasn't for the energy support scheme that has just kicked in. So uh, our first task is how do we get to net zero for energy? And we are uh, we have good plans in that regard. We have uh, some renewable uh, installations of our own, and we're looking to uh, we have some ambition to build even more renewables. So we think we can get to net zero for energy by about twenty thirty. And then we're looking at all the rest of our business, uh, where we get our chemicals from, our supply chain, all the other carbon uh, carbon emitters I suppose are contributors to our business and how we get those to net zero which we hope to do by 2040. Outside of that then as a, as a business who provide a service who will be here into the future we know climate change is happening so climate change results in hotter drier weather that's going to have an impact on us. As we provide water. So, we have to find ways to either help lower demand, we have to find ways to reduce leakage, um, and we might also have to look for alternative sources of water. So, groundwater is an example, and there's an abundance of groundwater in Northern Ireland, and we're starting to tap into that. We then have to make our assets resilient to uh, those deluges of rain that are now. So you're going to have a whole lot more intense weather and intense rainfall, and that leads to flooding. So we have to build in resilience to that in our network, and we it have all costs a lot of money, and it costs a lot of money, a lot of money. And so what we have to balance is who's paying for that? Do customers pay for that? Over what time period do they pay business for customers?
0: That? in Northern Ireland currently pay and that's the same model uh, south of the border households yep. don't business customers do in this kind of a downturn period and with rising costs and rising energy costs are, are business customers maybe failing to, to pay? Is there, do, you, do you expect to be a, 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 an increase in arrears?
1: It's something that we've had an eye to ever since I suppose Covid um, that inability to pay and how can we work with our business customers to support them through these difficult times and Initially, we did put some support through during the early COVID um, months. It actually hasn't kicked through that we've seen that downturn in in, uh, payment and and an increase in debt. But it is something that we're very conscious of and uh, we always think it's not too far away.
0: What would you say is the single biggest challenge for the company that you run in the next few years?
1: I think... Climate is the single biggest challenge. The other challenge that we run with is that certainty of funding, so certainty of funding should be a given in a water company it's an excellent investment um it's a, it it's a, it's a business that's always going to be there it provides a, it's regulated and it provides a return. However, in our case because we're linked to government, our certainty of funding isn't there so that is a huge cha- It's it's like an additional challenge that we take on, but I think uh readying ourselves for a new future, a sustainable future, is our big challenge.
0: What do you do to unwind? Relax. I, Are well, you good at forgetting about work when you're not at work?
1: Not too bad, actually. Not too bad. So I'm, I'm a bit of a compartmentaliser. I can do that. But equally, in the background in my head, I'll if I'm on my own, I probably am always thinking through what happens. So I love to run. Um, and I like to run on my own because that gives me space to think through things in my head. I have taken up CrossFit since COVID happened, and I really like that, actually. I do that early in the morning before I go to work. And my uh, relax and unwind is trashy box sets uh, at about half nine, ten o'clock at night.
0: And get get right into a long box set there and forget <laughs> about everything. Well, no, no I just watch <laughs> about
1: an hour and then I'm I'm way to bed. <laughs> <So> I'm up <laughs> at half five. You, don't, you don't
0: binge watch them, then, but you get through them. Yeah. Yeah. There are a set of questions that I ask all of our guests on this podcast. You could call it the the quick fire round and I'll throw them at you. What CEO or entrepreneur do you most admire and why?
1: So I'm not a great one for looking around and saying who's inspirational. But I think Steve Jobs has always been someone who I have thought, wow, stunning. Took an idea. I love his tech. His tech solves problems. He went through difficulties, worked from a garage, became uh, a billionaire. And the other thing that I always loved is that ability to stand up on a stage, no notes, talk about his purpose, talk about his vision and inspire a huge room. So uh, I see a lot of a lot to envy there.
0: What's your favourite book or film? I'm thinking about the Steve Jobs movie. I don't know whether you've seen well, it or not. I did not, watch it, yes, Yeah, it maybe good. that's it. What, what, what's your favourite book or film?
1: So again, I have been a reader from I was about seven or eight. And the last, the first book that drew me in and made me go, wow, I'm in a different world was Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Um, and since then, I love that book that draws you in, but they are few and far between. I read every night. So I think the last one I can remember that draws me in is probably the Game of Thrones series, which I read back to back. Um, And every night I just read detective novels and I couldn't tell you who has written them. I just read series after series after series. There's
0: a lot of escapism there, Sarah. (laughs) Do you have a mantra in business Um, and what is it? Something you tell yourself regularly? Probably or you say to others?
1: A bit of a double header For me, my mantra is uh, be the best you can be. And that's just what I apply to everything I do. And I, you, you talked, about, asked about stress and uh, pressure. My mother, Irish mother, always had this phrase, this too shall pass. So between those two, um, that's my approach to life.
0: When you're finished this job, what would you like people to say about what you achieved and how you did it?
1: I think I would like them to say that I... Um, delivered and that I left things better than I found them, that I got things done and that I had no airs and graces about me. So I don't stand on hierarchy. I would like to think that I suppose the, the the popular word for that is inclusive. I am an inclusive leader and that I believe everybody has a part to play in an organisation.
0: And what advice would you have to other business leaders or entrepreneurs starting out?
1: Grasp the opportunities. So whenever somebody asks you to help, say yes. And I would also say to people coming up through, say yes and don't ask what's in it for me. That will come. Just say yes. And and invest in yourself. Sometimes you have to invest in yourself and the rewards will follow later.
0: Finally, your biggest mistake or regret.
1: So I don't I genuinely don't believe in regrets. However, as a 19 year old, um, I remember being interviewed by a probably 50 something year old man and he said to me, why would you want to come and work as an engineer here? Sure, you'll be getting married and having children. And in my head, I thought, has he really asked me that question? Is this a test? Should I say, you can't ask me that? And I didn't. I just laughed it off and, and, and answered his question in some flippant way. And I regret that. And since then, I think I have and accepted that sort of, whether it's either misogynistic or just blatantly wrong uh, attitude to life. But I regretted that I didn't speak up then.
0: You had a moment and you could have. And I could take it, <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: Sarah, it's been a a huge time of change in the last 12 years since you joined NI Water and you've been at the forefront of managing that change and bringing about change at the organisation. Thank you very much for joining us on the programme.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: We hope you're enjoying the EY Podcast CEO Outlook series. Remember, you can catch previous interviews we've done with CEOs like David McRedmond of Unpost, Tony Smurfit of Smurfit Kappa Group, Imelda Hurley of Coelcha and Steve Cutler of Icon. Until the next time, bye-bye.
1: EY, building a better working world.